Finding video editing clients is really tough, especially when you're just starting out. That's because the system relies heavily on your network, who you know, not what you know. And I feel passionately because I've seen fantastic editors, fantastic artists, fantastic creatives get pushed to one side or ignored purely because they don't know the right person. So I feel passionately that consideration for work should be based on ability and not status. And so this is my letter to the industry on how we can address it. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the video editing podcast from Unsplice with me, Shiny. And if you're not familiar with my face by now, welcome to the podcast. Really is a pleasure to have you here. Unsplice is the only online video editing mentorship community that is hell-bent on making you an in-demand editor. That's through training, mentorship, and community guidance. And if you'd like to learn more about that, head to unsplice.com forward slash pro. Now let's talk about today's subject. I do believe that this is, um, this is one of those subjects that so many editors feel passionate about, um, but perhaps have been thinking it and not really felt like it could ever be a reality that we could, that the industry could be anything other than this. How the system works right now is most clients, when they are looking for someone to do work for them, they're looking for work, they will look to their immediate contacts. They'll look through their address book, people who they've worked with recently, people who are top of mind. And once they've exhausted those and reached out and they are unavailable, then they will go and ask those people, people they trust the most, if they know anybody who they can recommend. And then when that resource is exhausted, then they will go online and they'll ask, you know, go on to online agencies, they'll go to editing agencies, maybe they'll go to Upwork, Fiverr, depending on the kind of job it is. And that just means that if you're not top of mind, if you're not immediately top of mind of the person who is looking for somebody, then you're gonna miss out. And it, and it literally is as, as simple as that. These clients are not keeping a Rolodex. It seems like a, a nice image to have in our mind. You know, these um, these editors have a Rolodex. The clients have a Rolodex of of editors to call upon when they need someone. Um, it really isn't as um, as organised as that. It's pretty much top of their head. Okay, who do I know who can do this? This person or this person? Um, and it's a very short list that they'll go through. Some agencies, creative agencies, media agencies will have a list, the freelancers that they go to. Um, and if you're good enough, you'll get on the list and maybe you get an email shout out. Uh, but the list is not long. Uh, and that's because it's, it's very, very difficult to find reliable editors. That's the problem here. That's the main key word here, reliable editors. Editors who are not only good at the job, but who are self-sufficient and can work on their own. That is the, the main criteria. And so if you're not top of mind for the client, then a client will post online in a last ditch effort to find somebody. But that person that they bring on 
they never fully trust because they never worked with them before. You've heard me talk about trust being more valuable than money to clients in the past. So it begs to be true um, that when they hire somebody online, they find another editor from an online source, that they don't fully trust them. And there lies a problem because they will micromanage, they will be overbearing, they won't allow the editor full creative rights, and the editor will get exhausted because they'll be being micromanaged and they will feel that there's no trust. And that's a problem because uh, the problem with the system really is that it creates this system that only people who you've you've worked with before are trusted. Um, It creates this system of elitism. Elitism. Uh, not sure why I extended that word, but yeah, it creates a, a, this feeling of elitism within this within in industry, and it's kind of wild when you think about it. Um, though not wild for the media industry itself. I mean, elitism is rife, but the fact that editors and artists, by their very definition, are kind of bottom of the rung. Um, of this hierarchy and will there's no there's no way for them to rise above that and this idea of who you know and not what you know it breeds this sentiment that actually if you put more effort into just speaking to people and networking you could be the most mediocre or okay editor in the world and you'll get lots of fantastic work and you'll do really really well when really it should be the case that the cream rises to the top. The best editors are really kind of commanding the best prices and they are in, in you know in a world of their own. And of course, when we look at the absolute experts who are working on some of the best films, feature films in the world, um, they are well recognized. But let's talk about in the documentary space, the commercial space, branded content agency world, as well as content creators, uh, they are kind of living in a world of their own, really. And so it feels like because we've got this, you know, this class divide in elitism between the clients and the artists, um, it feels like we are all in competition with each other we're all been put in the same bucket you're all just technicians artists creatives what whatever you want to be called or whatever the client wants to to label you um, we're kind of thrown into the same bucket and that means that there's a kind of competitive nature this tribal instinct kicks in and it's not healthy We, you know, not only does it breed a sense of competition between each other, between you and me and the other editor that you you know, that you know, um, and missing out on work because of somebody else, it also creates inequality, uh, inequality of race, gender, class, and income. Because the clients, as they are reaching out, they will only know people in their immediate vicinity. And who are those people in their immediate vicinity? Well, they probably look like them, sound like them, and act like them, and, and work, and you know, live in, in the same circles. 
purely because that's how our social network works. And so what that means is all of the higher paying jobs or the elite jobs are only going to people in those elite circles. And so you you find yourself as a beginner, especially in this kind of catch-22 situation, because you are only affordable to the lower paying clients um, because you're slightly, you're inexperienced. Um, and so the budgets you will be working with will be smaller. The clients that you'll be working with are more fussy. They are, um, uh, you know, they're going to give you work that is not quite as exciting. And so to find your way, to build your way up to this elite status, you not ha only have to fight through these prejudices, you also have to get, you know, better at editing and everything else and, and then fight through social circles and elitist circles as well. And uh, another thing I've noticed as well is that if they don't know you, Personally, if, you, if you've never worked with them before, if the client has never worked with you before and they bring you on, if they don't trust you enough, quite often they won't give you your full rate straight off the bat. And that's a problem. And it really does come down to trust from my experience. In the client's perspective, I don't trust you. Therefore, this I'm only willing to risk this much. I have some ideas on how we can fix that. We can fix this inequality. We can fix this um, this idea that if you don't know someone, then you're not eligible for certain work or a client won't trust you enough. And the way I see it is, first of all, standardized qualifications for editors. What does that mean? Well, that means that editors must meet a certain criteria um, in well in effective workflow creative storytelling and client relations so those three those are the three key skill sets that that all the expert editors really excel at so every skill as an editor that you need to learn and possess can be broken down into those three categories and so if if every editor has a qualification a skill level based on those three categories then client can look at that objectively and see, okay, this person is editing at this level. And now no longer are we hitting the same trust barriers, the trust rules, because the client knows that this qualification has come from a separate source, a separate adjudicator that has assessed the skill levels of this editor and gone, yes, they are worthy of this level. They are worthy of this mark of quality. And that means that the level, the, the trust barrier goes down. And so the rate that the client is willing to pay is going up because the barrier has dropped. Um, and something really as simple as that can take away so many of the uh, so many of the barriers, stresses from a client's perspective that when they are looking and reaching out to their network, they are trying, uh, they're, they're trying to navigate. 
And it really is about that trust. They've gone to their close network because they trust them. And can you recommend somebody that you trust because I trust your judgment? Well, what if there was one source of judgment that the, any client, any client in the world, let's start in the UK and then let's talk about the world that a client can look at and then go, I trust your judgment and this judge the judgment is in those three core areas, those three core skills. Okay, now I know this editor is capable to work on this edit and this is the budget for somebody who's capable of that and you've dropped that barrier. And so that's the first, my, my first pledge, my first step to a brighter future for the industry. And in a way that we can fix this we can fix this uh, kind of elitism within the industry. Uh, another way, another step that I envision, um, and this really is what, what drives me, this is really what Unsplice is all about to me. It's, um, it's about equalizing the playground, setting qualifications and skills and levels that every editor, every client can understand and know, okay, I, I get it now. Just from looking at a couple of numbers, you have a full understanding of what an editor is capable of. Breaking down those barriers and ensuring that if a client doesn't have someone in their immediate network, they can just go to one place and know that the editor that meets that standard is going to be of a certain standard. That really is the main goal behind Unsplice and, and my goals in life because I've, I've been unfairly judged in the past throughout my career and, um, and it hurts, you know, it's, it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. It's part and parcel of the industry. It's part of the, the job and um, it doesn't have to be that way. So really that's, what, that's what's driven me to build Unsplice and create this this set of qualifications, this, this platform to level the playing field. And the next step in the big, brighter future plan is <clears throat> a powerful, large-scale freelance editing agency. And there doesn't have to be one. There could be, there could be several, especially if each one is specialized in a particular type of editing. And I'm not talking about Upwork or Fiverr because those are a race to the bottom. Those are about setting the lowest rate possible. What we're talking about here is an industry-wide standardized rate. So there are other industries where the rates are set by the biggest players in those industries and they know the comp even the competitors, they know that they can't compete on price. There needs to be a bottom because otherwise the whole industry is going to fall apart and all of the low ballers are going to come in and it's going to be a mess. That is what has happened to the post-production industry. There is no minimum bar set. There's no minimum rates. It's pay what you can. And every client is going to take advantage of that. They're going to pay as little as they possibly can for what they can get. Even today, I had someone reach out to me, knowing full well um, my experience, and then offering me a job for 30 pounds an hour. And 
we have this commoditization of, of video editing and it's crazy it's bizarre and really this is how we you know one step to fixing it creating these these large-scale agencies that set a standardized rate this could be a minimum rate if you are looking for an editor of this experience this is the minimum it's going to cost you per day done flatline no questions this is it and then you know you can go up from there depending on how good the editor is but this is the minimum and we have nothing set in stone for that in the, in the US, of course, we have MPEG. And if you're working on scripted, there are union and non-union jobs. And union jobs do have to meet a certain rate. Um, but that is within scripted. And I'm, I'm talking about unscripted, talking about content creation, commercials, um, everything else except scripted, basically. Documentaries is a shambles. And the, the rate, the, the day rate hasn't changed in, t in 10 years the last 10 years and it's been despicable um, and it's because clients will say this is the rate and editors will say okay I'll take it because it's either that or no work um, so we need to have some kind of standardized rate and that can only be set if lots of key players are going to agree that that is the minimum minimum rate that should be set because otherwise it's a race to the bottom so this, always, this also means that the best money is going to be in freelancing. If we have large-scale editing agencies, um, then the best money is going to be in freelancing. And that's true now, but it'll be even more true when freelancing rates by these agencies are set and they go up because employers will pay as little as they can possibly get away with. Uh, recently, I saw a job posting for a senior video editor, minimum 10 years experience, in London, in London, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world, and the salary was £40,000. Now, when I first started out as a motion designer, back in 2007-ish, something like that, uh, I had a, a starting salary of £17,000, which was abysmal. I had to sign up uh, for government benefits in order to pay my bills and uh, put food on the table it was shocking in today's money that is uh, the equivalent of about twenty-eight thousand pounds so a senior editor now is expect with 10 years plus experience is expected to earn just slightly more than a junior which is disgusting and somebody will take it and the cycle continues and so if employers are going to be this brash and cheeky with their salary numbers, with the amount that they're willing to pay their staff being so shockingly low, it should be embarrassing. Um, well, then all power to the freelancers. If all the employees jump ship and become freelancers, and then all of a sudden there is a standardized rate that they must adhere to if they want somebody of that same quality well then guess what the editor's income goes up by three times and uh, if the employer wants to keep good quality editors they have to match they have to bring their salaries up in order to compete so that they don't lose employees to becoming freelancers so it works kind of holistically across the industry 
I feel like a an editing agency also on a large scale has the ability to put forward anonymity for their staff members, for their freelancers, the people on their books. And what that can do is prevent inequality because you can, uh, we can withhold pictures, you can withhold names, they can just have nicknames um, or numbers as they are presented to the client. Um, and then the selection by the client is not based on what they look like. If they have, you know, for English clients, an English sounding name. Um, if they have, you know, if they have any ageism, anything like that, all of that is kind of got rid of. And all editor selection can be based on their portfolio, not how they look or whatever they're called but on their portfolio of work. And this gives a great opportunity then for all editors, especially coming up. I understand when you're first starting out, it's really difficult to kind of put together a portfolio, but you have access within Unsplice Pro and with um, access to other libraries as well. You can practice footage and use that footage in your portfolio. And then that portfolio is used to grade you as well as any qualifications. So. It's a fair, fair playground for everyone involved. And that is, that's the power of, of, you know, of a large scale agency. And especially if we can get some several agencies to work together, we really could change the industry more than any union because the unions in the UK, especially are atrocious. They don't do anything. They're not doing absolutely anything whatsoever. And so that's step two of my big bright future plan of how we can fix this. And uh, I hope you're with me. I hope you're following everything I'm saying and, and share my opinions. Because we can only do this together. You know, at the moment, all of the power is in the hands of the client. And we have to be united if we want to take that away. If we are united, then we will not be undercutting each other. And that's one of the problems. We spoke earlier about peers looking at each other, looking at other editors like competitors. I've spoken to um, other creators within this editing uh, niche, you know, within the editing industry. And some of them are just not interested in working together for competitive reasons. And it makes no sense because we're all in this together. And the only way we can change the industry and make it better than when we came is if we are united. And so it's time we all look at all of our other peers as friends. They are not our competition because one editor will do a very different edit to another editor. And it's the same when, when we were talking about directors as well. You know, if an agency is looking to book a director to direct a certain commercial music video, um, yes, they'll be gauged on their treatment, but also each director is going to make a very different film and they're going to choose the director that's best for that film. What they think is this is the best style of directing for this idea. Uh, and it's the same with the editor. Every editor is going to cut slightly differently. So you are not in competition with that editor next to you because they're going to do a different job than you. Um, and so that is how we should start to see our peers. 
um, because if we start undercutting our cost and seeing as competition and going, yeah, I'll do it for that much, and so-and-so did it for this, can you do it for a bit less? Yeah, no problem. Well, then all of our rates are going to go down and they have stagnated for the last 10 years and um, it really is unhealthy. Uh, I mean, it, and it's because of this idea of undercutting and, and taking le less and less and lower and lower paying jobs. Um, so we're not peers. Um, we are peers and we are not competition. Um, so my my crying call, my war cry, if you will, um, is to stand with your editing peers, because the more divided we are, the weaker we are. And the low paying, the low paying clients know that and they will lowball us and they'll take advantage of that. So thank you very much for listening. If any of this has resonated with you, please make sure to comment below in YouTube. If you're listening to your, on a podcast, jump over to YouTube, make sure you subscribe, like it and stick a comment and join the conversation. What has spoken to you about this episode? And more importantly, please, please, please share this with as many editors as you know, because united, we are stronger. So please, please share this with as many editors, post-production professionals as you know, because we can change the industry, but we can only do it if we work together. Thank you so much. I'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye.